Welcome to the 495. I'm your host, Doug Sparks, editor-in-chief of Merrimack Valley Magazine. Lou, how are you doing this week? Doing very well today. I'm doing great. And, he, uh, you know, I noticed, um, I noticed some people enjoyed our discussion about the, the attacking squirrel last week. <laughs> yeah. And my wife got a lot of gifts and memes sent to her phone Did she? regarding the squirrel. Do we have any more verification that it is, in fact, a <laughs> there's, squirrel? There's no more, there's no more verification. Yeah. Our, our house was was attacked by a uh, a thudding creature uh, that terrified my wife, thinking that it was some type of murderer trying to break into the house. I knew it was a squirrel. Why? Because I had encountered this squirrel before, and every once in a while, deduction. Rocky, as as he's now been named, yes. will take a run at the house and dive at the window, trying to get who knows what he's trying to do. Probably yep. trying to get food. He's a big he's a big squirrel. Yep. Uh, uh, we haven't seen him since then, so who knows? Maybe he had a little head trauma. <laughs> uh, but but. <laughs> You love the concussion protocol. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone knows my wife, I'm sure she's she'd be very happy to get more squirrel-related content posted on her Facebook feed. Nice. So our guest this week, it's you know it's it's interesting. Before I introduce him, um, he's been mentioned and his organization has been mentioned on this show numerous times. And I remember Mm. just two or three weeks ago, a guest was mentioning Elevated Thought. And I was like, well, why, why haven't we had him on? Like, since, since the beginning, I, I have this list of people I want on the show, and he's right. been on since the beginning. Uh, so this is long overdue. Our guest this week is Marquise Victor from Elevated Thought, a Lawrence-based organization. Marquise, how are you doing today? I'm all right. I can't complain. Spring is here, and its warm embrace is quite satisfying. Yeah, it's very satisfying. And, you know, it's a little gray, but that's like creative weather, right? Like it's warm, it's comfortable, but it's kind of coffee, at least for me, I'm a coffee drinker, right? Like it's kind of coffee drinking, thinking, creating kind of weather. There's no, you know, it's not so nice that you want to go to the beach and do something else. It's right. in, it's a little bit introspective, right? <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. It's, it encourages you to... Be a little bit hesitant to go outside, but you kind of want to be near it. You know what I mean? So you maybe go by a window and it's that classic idea of just staring out the window, thinking and reflecting, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So for people who don't know Elevated Thought, what is Elevated Thought and what do you do? Yeah, for sure. Uh, first, Elevated Thought is a frame of mind. I'll say that. But uh, we are a social justice, art and social justice organization based in Lawrence, Massachusetts, Uh, we believe that art is a form of liberation and we actively address social injustice through creative youth development programs, beautification projects, youth organizing, and paid opportunities for black indigenous people of color. Are you afraid of using this term social justice? Because I feel like it, it, especially maybe over the past four years, five years, it's been so politicized and it's kind of been used against you know, it's been used in all sorts of ways. Do you, do you ever kind of say, ah, oh, I wish I could just come up with a different term? Or are you completely comfortable with it? Yeah, so, I mean, I've been running this organization now for over 10 years, you know, since its inception uh, with a couple of my good friends. And it's we's all, we've always used art and social justice. And early on, I think it was more of a detriment. Right. It really scared some people off, especially as a grassroots organization trying to get funding, trying to get in the room, trying to connect with people and tell them about our mission and our vision. It's like, you know, sometimes people looked at me like I was a leper or something. You know what I mean? Like talking about liberation through creation and and these seemingly abstract concepts. But um, I think, yes, it, it can be a challenge, but I think they're Hopefully, and hopefully it's not trendy, but there's a shift in social consciousness. So I'm feeling that more individuals are willing to 
listen and to consider and and to have a discussion about social justice and, and what it means. Yeah. Why the word thought? In other words, you know, you think of an arts organization, a cultural organization, there's all sorts of different ways that that can permeate, right? But why mm-hmm. the emphasis right up f- from the, in, on, on ideas, on thinking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of stems from my own personal narrative, which is pretty lengthy, so I don't want to take up the whole time here. But, uh, you know, I will point to an event in our history back in March of 2008 when Alex J. Bryan, you know, my best friend, uh, co-founder and productions director Elevated Thought, he was creating a mural for his senior project. And at that time I was writing, uh, I was on the spoken word circuit, I was writing a piece to accompany his mural, right? And one side of the mural was the saxophonist and he's playing this, his saxophone and music notes are flowing in and out of this loose depiction of orange, right? It's dark, gritty, ominous, but there's glimmers of hope through the colors and the shading. And the music notes flow to the other side of this mural and there's a young woman and she's crying and one of the tears form the word why and she's asking that question why is there so much sorrow in the city why is it unending unceasing and what can we really do about it that's seemingly insignificant as we are <clears throat> excuse me so we had some other friends in this rented out construction warehouse where this mural was happening we got in this big discussion and you know i i posited to the crew hey you know what if we brought this these challenges out into the public through art in these different forms. And if folks don't have an answer, how about we develop creative solutions ourselves? And I lifted my head up and I said, hey, this is elevated thought right here. And I think from that moment and how the organization has evolved, what, what has been clear to me is the idea of thought to me is a connection, you know, almost in this metaphysical way to our soul, to our consciousness, how the brain interacts with the, you know, the allegorical heart. Um, and, you know, creativity is a mechanism in which to tap into our deeper essence. And if we as humans tap into our deeper essence, we are going to more effectively understand that, whoa, the system structures, the confines of the reality that we live in are not conducive to human flourishing, are limiting people's uh, potential to create, to imagine a world that is going to, you know, be beneficial to us as a species, you know? So I think that's the essence of the word thought, and that's why I think it's relevant to our work. When you were, when these ideas were percolating originally, you were a school teacher in Revere, correct? Do I have the time yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I was getting my undergrad when I uttered those uh, words, elevated thought, for the first time, you know. And then when I was a teacher in Revere and then in Roxbury, I had Alex come up. Uh, or come down, I should say, and run our first, what would be, you know, our art and social justice uh, workshops, programs that we would grow over time. How did your experiences in the classroom inform what happened in Elevated Thought? Uh, Long story short, I I really became disillusioned with public schooling. Hmm. You know, the limitations, uh, the focus on these kind of mundane and archaic mechanisms of what young people should know. You know, yeah, we should have a basis in math and in science and in language, yes, but to commandeer learn the learning space in a way where you're limiting young people's opportunity to explore their creative capacities, I think it's a dehumanizing process. So uh, you're working on your PhD at Northwestern right now, correct? No, uh, EDD at Northeastern. Yeah. Or, uh, Northeastern, okay. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, well, this, given that you had problems with the education system and you were you had concerns, 
why are you still going down that path? Why are you still focusing on that in your research? I think part of it is because, you know, in order for change to happen, there needs to be work outside of these systems, but there's also opportunities to infiltrate the system and mm -hmm. to impact the system in a way where you're a part of it. Inevitably, you know, we're inextricably linked to all the systems that we exist in. You know, we can't, unless we want to live off the grid and live isolated in, in some in some way, one could argue that that's becoming very, 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 you know, increasingly difficult to do. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be attached to the system structure. So I look at this as a way, you know, I'm lever leveraging this educational experience so I can, you know, further, you know, enhance my impact. Is is that appealing to you? That idea of going off the grid? Do you ever kind of dream about maybe, you know, going all the way? I for a long time it was until I got married and then then I had a daughter. Uh, so that that's just gone now. But for a while, you know, I think my wife. She was worried that that was a real possibility. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, we have the same thing. And if my wife's listening right now, she's laughing. Because I like to meditate. I like to go into the woods and everything. And she knew yeah. at a certain point I was just ready to get my hut up above the clouds and disappear. Yeah. And I have two young kids. And no, you just get pulled. You know, it's, right. it's a different... Uh, a different thing for sure. Hey, if I'm, our, our radio station right now is in Methuen. Mm -hmm. If I was to get on the 495 highway, not, you know, the podcast and drive south into Lawrence and drive around the city of Lawrence, where would I see things that have been produced by the Elevated Thought Organization? What should I look yeah. for? Uh, go down Essex Street first. You'll see a bunch of murals of ours on Essex Street. In fact, if you start on Essex Street, you know, the, the, Broadway and Essex Street intersection, you drive down all the way down to the corner of Essex and Union Street, then you'll find our entrance to our headquarters, 120, Suite 120 there, uh, right right uh, diagonally across from the Lawrence History Center. But on Essex Street, we have a ton of murals, and then our murals and electrical boxes are painted throughout the city, and little, you know, some of them are more hidden, and some of them are much more visible. What are the, what are the murals of and... Who comes up with the ideas? Yeah, so for a long time, the content was derived from the young people who would create in our workshops and programs. And then some of our collaborating artists, professional artists, would translate some of their content into wide-scale murals. And they range. Some of them are about identity. Some are, uh, of them are about you know this abstract concept of hope and progress. Uh, we have this gigantic uh, installation mural at the Lawrence Public Library, beautiful uh, emerging spot and beacon of light and culture in the city. Uh, that's about the past and the present and the future of the city as uh, viewed by the young people. Uh, it was a mural that that uh, was contributed by over 500 young people in the city. Do you ever? This is going to sound like a strange question, uh, but it's it's sort of my understanding. There's this pattern that cities, successful cities, go through, right? Where in the beginning, things are kind of rough, but it's inexpensive to live there. And that means the artists like to come in or the artists can kind of thrive, right? And then they start to build up and then attention comes and then people start coming in from tech and from outside. And then the artists get pushed out and working class people get pushed out, et cetera, et cetera. So my question is, if elevated thought, can elevated thought be too successful? In other words, can you, can you get yourself into a situation where the cultural situation is so thriving and so vibrant in Lawrence that ends up undermining the whole project? That's a really good question. Uh, and the short answer is no, I don't think that's going to happen. 
because of how much we're grounded in the community, how much we value and exist off the input and the voice of young people, uh, because the vast majority of our staff is our folks from Lawrence who actually grew up in the program. Um, because our board of directors are folks that are embedded in the community in Lawrence. And I just think there's just too much of a grounded uh, foundation in, in our organization to just kind of flow with the tide. And I also think we're going to piss people off at a reasonable rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question. I ask a lot of people who do a lot of things, right? Because you're, you're a poet, you're, you know, a writer, you're an educator, you're going to graduate school. You're the president and executive director of this organization um, that's doing a lot in the city of Lawrence. Time management. How do you get all this done? What's your what's your trick to to getting all this work done and, and keeping the uh, foot on the gas pedal? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long, long journey with that. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. I would say up until the pandemic, I, I really had no control. I, I had very limited control when I thought I could manage my time effectively. You know, more things would come, more fires to put out, more opportunities that I couldn't say no to. I heard you talking about that before, uh, you know, saying yes to too many things. And so over over time, I think what happened, you know, I look at the pandemic has been devastating for the globe, right? And, you know, I'm fortunate to say that with the pandemic, it forced me to chill out hmm. and just relax. And, you know, spending that time with my wife and my daughter really put things in perspective for me. And that really uh, kickstarted this refined focus and pursuit to ensure that I'm managing my time so I could continue to evolve as a human, um, as, a, as a husband, as a father, as a leader. Uh, because if I'm running around, you know, this work requires us to wear a lot of different hats. But if I'm running around just incessantly and just just beating myself and burning myself out, how am I going to be how am I going to support others? How am I going to be there for others? How am I going to be able to grow in my mind and my heart? And so I just I say no a lot more and I dedicate time that is non-negotiable. So during the week. You know, I might have to move it around a little bit, but I'm dedicating X amount of time to creating uh, with my daughter by myself. I'm dedicating X amount of time to reading. You know, um, I'm dedicating X amount of time to having conversations with with loved ones, friends, uh, staff, you know, so it's just not because even doing this mission driven work, we can get on the hamster wheel in that rat race where it's just nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And we're in bondage to the work. Uh, as as fulfilling and how much I love this work, it is it is work. Being human is number one. So having that perspective has allowed me to better manage my time and to take on all these different um, you know pursuits. Yeah. Speaking of the pandemic, how did the how did the organization how did Elevate Thought uh, Elevate Thought pivot during the pandemic, and what have you been doing to to deal with this this horrible situation? Yeah, we got crushed by it initially. You know, we lost uh, a lot. Of, you know, we had in-school programs, our after-school programs, commissions that were lined up, uh, site visits from funders, uh, real the reallocation of funds from other funders to go towards the front line. So we got hit hard, but we we grew. I was part of the social innovation forum cohort in, in uh, out of Boston, which 
is an accelerator program for grassroots nonprofits. So that allowed some time to, again, to focus on development and focus on the vision uh, to increase our visibility. So we ended up actually growing substantially in 2020. Uh, we brought on our program director. I was, for a long time, I was the only full-time staff member. Uh, we brought on our program director, Amaryllis Lopez, who was our first ever youth leader when she was in high school. So as soon as she graduated, she um, started in June as our program director. So we adapted some of our programs online and just were there to support our young staff, um, to provide a creative space for young people to just reflect. We didn't want to push it too far with the with the Zoom sessions because of all the online learning that was taking place. And so we've grown and we're actually going to be growing from a staff of two full time, uh, two full time staff members to um, nine come uh, June. So it's been it's been a great time for us to really hone in on the vision and create some pathways and structures to get us ready for the next phase of the organization. Yeah, I was looking at the um, at Elevated Thoughts Instagram and there were a few things I wanted to ask you about. There's uh, something yeah. called a mutual beautification uh program that you do with local businesses. What yep. is that and, and how do people get involved with that if they're interested? Yeah, so that's our donated beautification effort every year. Every year we we do a series of murals and public art in Lawrence um, at no costs. So it's just our donated beautification. And every year we're, we're looking for walls for businesses that hopefully have some alignment with our purpose and our mission and that are in need of an uplift and that are in a place where, you know, individuals can walk and get a source of inspiration and hope on a daily basis. So uh, that's the point of our, our uh, beautification program. That's what we're trying to get. I got a couple phone calls, actually, I got to respond to that came in today of local folks, local business owners that, that want to see if they can get involved. Yeah. And uh, at least on the Instagram, it looks like this is actually free for the, for the businesses who participate. Is that correct? How does it that is. work? Yeah, so we just we secure funding each year for our beautification efforts. So we, you know, we make sure we have X amount of money mm. each year so we can provide this service to the community. And what about the apprent the youth apprenticeship program? What's that? Yeah, so this is really exciting. Uh, this is a program that actually got put off because of the pandemic, uh, which actually worked in its favor. So we could flush it out and um, you know build our staff and and um, you know build awareness for it. So it's going to be a program for high school students in Lawrence and actually students at Lawrence High School, they're gonna be able to receive credits for this course and it's gonna be part of their school day. Uh, they're gonna get paid for it so we can kind of combat some of the roadblocks that young people face when trying to get involved uh, with programs. You know, some of these young people say, I wanna do this so bad and it's aligned with, with what I wanna do in the future. It's what I wanna explore, but I gotta make some money uh, to bring home. I got to go to Mickey D's. I got to go to Marshall. So we're trying to so break those barriers down. Uh, we're going to have three different tracks. It's going to be a mural composition and design track, a uh, photo and video arts track, and a creative writing track. They're going to get intimate support from professional artists. Uh, and then they're going to all come together in addition to our social justice youth collective and develop public art projects throughout the year that are going to, you know, they're going to align with their mediums that they're practicing while we're also, you know, uh, addressing social issues that are relevant to the community and young people. 
Yeah. So you're working a, a lot with young people and mentoring them. And I'm wondering, what what advice do you give them? Because at some point they're going to come and say, oh, I, I don't know what to do. What, I, I, the path is not clear. What advice yeah. do you tend to give to young people who want to get involved and make the community a little bit brighter, a little bit better, want to get involved in the arts? Yeah, I think, you know, number one, it starts with, in my perspective, in my, in my experience, developing a foundation itself starts with kind of asking yourself some difficult questions, you know, and, and I approached it in a real existential type of way when I was kind of going through my process of what am I going to do? Like, who am I? You know, um, what does this all mean? Like, what what is important to me? What do I value? And once you have some answers to those questions, then you you start to put some dots together. What are what are some programs, some organizations, some collectives, some groups that align with what I value, what I see as meaningful, and how can I get involved, you know? And then once you're involved, it's a matter of just removing some of the fear associated with growing and evolving and jumping into whatever it is that you want to try, whatever it is that you want to experience. We really, in order to grow, and, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of young people, in order to grow, we have to confront, you know, the, the human affliction of fear and we have to you know put away like the worry of what others are going to think even if those others are people that are really important to us and really just try things out to explore to create to imagine the possibilities of ourselves and when we do that you know i think the it's kind of this domino effect where we're going to be able to kind of see our mind and eyes look at the social landscape with more depth and perception and that inevitably is going to lead to some spark of social action or desire to change something that you see as invaluable in 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 the community you know right uh when you were young did you have mentors and people who inspired you and who were they when i was young i was too hard-headed to to know that there was value in that so when i was in high school i went to central catholic i was particularly hard-headed and ignorant and i decided to repress all my creativity and imagination because i was a basketball player and i thought that was a valuable uh identity to have a singular identity right so it wasn't until later when i kind of came to consciousness if you will where i understood like hey i can't do this alone um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm very ignorant and I know very little. Uh, who, where can I find some support? Where can I, you know, just link up with somebody and, and just ask questions? And, you know, where can I have a sounding board to just be myself and to sound silly? But, you know, with the idea that I'm going to sound silly in the pursuit that I'm trying to understand something, you know, so it didn't happen for me uh, till later on. So for young people, I would say, please, you know, try to find those mentors, those support networks early because you're going to reap the benefits much earlier. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about the city of Lawrence a, a little bit. Um, Mayor Dan Rivera is is leaving. Um, he's going to be replaced. And Derek Mitchell is uh, moving on from the Lawrence partnership. Do you have any anxieties about politically what we're going to be seeing in in Lawrence? Are you excited? Uh, what's your what's your sense of of what uh, 2022 is going to look like. Yeah, I mean, got a lot of respect for the, the two men that you just mentioned. I'll say that, number one. Um, you know, I, I got a, in terms of, you know, uh, Derek Mitchell, I mean, they took a big chance on us early on. We were growing and gave us some opportunities to the Lawrence Partnership. So, you know, I, I have a um, close connection there. 
in terms of anxieties for the political future of Lawrence, you know, straight up, I don't, I don't have time to be worrying about politics of Lawrence, you know. Um, I think our work is, it's irrelevant, you know, because it's going to move forward either way. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, like I mentioned before, how many people that we're going to, you know, if it's, if it's more a progressive pursuit the city takes, then great, there's going to be more synergy and there's going to be less people that we piss off. But if, you know, if that's not the case in the future, then, you know, there's going to be more people that we ruffle their feathers in terms of like what we value and, and you know, what we see as necessary for human and community flourishing. Um, I think I will say there are a lot of beautiful, wonderful, hardworking people in positions of power in Lawrence. And that gives me um, a lot of hope that, you know, uh, the, the idea the ideas and the mechanisms necessary for a progressive, sustainable community. Uh, it's a real possibility with some of the folks that that have power in the city. And so I think overall, I'm pretty hopeful. Right. So uh, April's Poetry Month, and we're going to have some poets on the show in April. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're a poet. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, are you still writing? Are you still performing? Is that Do you have time to do that with fatherhood and everything else going on in your life? Yeah, I'd say uh, as a creative, as an artist, um, I've actually been able to push the boundaries of my creativity. I do a lot of uh, artwork with my daughter, actually. We do a lot of mixed media pieces that I then write write poems for. Uh, we got we got uh, pieces all over the house, and you know I think I've been been feeling more and more comfortable about you know moving even outside of poetry and, and doing some other work that still involves poetry. I mean that's my go-to, but you know, at, at this point, I'm, I'm doing a lot of mixed media work as well. Yeah. Uh, so before I invite Lou in, because uh, the show producer, Lou Blasi, always has some some good questions. How do people follow you? How do they learn out, uh, learn more? What's the website? What's the social media? Where do they find out more? Yeah. So elevatedthought.org is our website. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at elevated underscore thought. Uh, we're also on Facebook, um, facebook.com slash elevated thought. And I think Amaryllis, our program director, just did some spring cleaning on our Twitter. So we're at Elevated Thought on Twitter. Um, I'm really on none of those platforms, but <laughs> you could, you could, uh, you could be up to date and in tune with the Elevated Thought happenings through those. And you can also subscribe on our website and and get our monthly news blasts. Okay, great, Lou. You have questions for our guest? Yeah, Marquis. I want to start. I'll start with this question because it's going to frame the rest of my questions for this. Is Elevated Thought? Do you consider it activism? Uh, I, I think art is almost inextricably linked to activism. Um, I think especially when you're talking about black and brown people that are, you know, pushing their art forms and their minds and their souls out into the public sphere where historically that that isn't the norm. Um, you know, even in music and art classes, we're inundated with you know, Western white culture. So I, I think the fact that we're really pushing forth and giving a platform and a voice to young people and black and brown voices in, in art forms, I think, yes, it, it is It is an indirect, indirect form of activism. Never mind some of the work that we've done, you know, around education, you know, our young people developing a youth bill of rights, going down to the Department of Education, uh, talking to leaders down there with associated artworks and short films and research and data 
So yes, activism is, is a part of our part of our being, if you will. I ask because I'm kind of circling around to Doug's question earlier about the social justice, the term social justice, because activism and social justice seems to be linked to politics a lot. And politics, unfortunately, in this day and age has become divisive. And just the whole concept of there being a political concept is divisive. So activism through art or getting these messages across through art has to toe that line, doesn't it? It has to kind of walk the line in between getting your concepts across and becoming political and therefore driving a wedge between people as opposed to accomplishing the goals that you want to accomplish. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, when you look at some of our values and, you know, some of the content, like it's easy to be like, all right, well, I identify this as progressive and progressive is identified to it. There's this identifying political, you know, ideology that I'm connecting it to. And immediately, if you're talking about this and you're talking about this, it's it's associated with this camp. I can't listen. Like you're mentioning right. this divisiveness that we have. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think through artwork, though, um, there's almost this organic way to address almost this really broad question. Like, what is it to be human? Right. Let's start here. How does this piece make you feel? Right. Like it, it, the act of young people having exposure and experience with creating and it uplifting them. Is that valuable? Is that necessary? And I think when you start to have these really broader conversations, uh, you know, they verge on almost like abstract philosophical ideas and concepts. But through our experience and our history, that has been a way to bring more people into the conversation and to kind of put well, I'm, I'm in this camp or I, I, you know, I'm tired of all the taxes that are coming out of my, like, let's put this, <laughs> like, let's put this aside and let's come to the table and let's just talk about what it is to be human, right? And what should all human beings have? What should all human beings have the opportunity to experience, right? And I think through, again, through, through I'm just speaking for myself and through Elevated Thought, when we've taken that approach, it has been more conducive to bring um, a wider range of folks with political identities at the table to have a conversation rather than I'm going to wait till you're done talking so I can, can espouse my ideolo uh, ideology and my fundamentalist views, whether it's on the far left or far right, whatever it is, uh, that's not conducive to progress, right. right? We need to have open dialogues. We need to be in comfortable spaces we can really challenge each other because there's no progress, there's no change, there's no evolution if there's no there's no risk in challenging and confronting confronting things that we don't necessarily like to talk about, you know? Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was talking about. But let's go back to an answer that you gave before, and you used a couple phrases in there that I'd like you to drill down on a little bit more. Uh, you talked about what we value. You talked about what is necessary for uh, society to move forward and what what mechanisms need to be put in place. Be a little more specific on those for me. Sure. I mean, again, this is, this is my – you're diving kind of into my – almost philosophical worldview here. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> I, I, I consider, I consider humans, you know, if we look at, we've been around for such a short period of time in the big scheme of things, but we've proved to be, you know, essentially the dominant species on earth and our capacity to create is matched by our capacity to destroy. And I think it's just easy. We can go through 
human history um, and see just like the beautiful, wonderful creations that have come out of human ingenuity and collaboration, out of love, out of, you know, just, just the pursuit of trying to explore and curiosity. And then you have the other side of humanity, which is a real emphasis on fear, uh, creating mechanisms and instruction based on our own, you know, intrinsic fear, uh, the desire for accumulation, wealth and power and control. I think that's just, I like to consider humans as, you know, we are animals, but I think the consciousness uh, as much as scientists really are gung ho and believe that one day we're going to be able to pinpoint exactly where the consciousness comes from, I believe we're we're both physical and metaphysical creatures, and our consciousness allows us to kind of transcend our animal state, right? And that transcendence of the animal state is in the realm of creativity, of creation, of imagination, and I think that's also the realm in which we can. You know, and it sounds utopian. And again, I don't think we're going to move towards a utopian. Like humans are, I don't think I can swear on here, but we're, we're too like effed up and, and, uh, and, and challenged and limited and finite to, to create a utopian. But I think we can move towards a, an existence in which it is more conducive to human flourishing where people do have an opportunity to engage with the more positive aspects of their humanity because these system structures how they've been largely repressive and oppressive especially to people of color especially to indigenous folks um you know it creates environments for desperation where you have to exist solely with the focus on survival right like so again pushing us to to exist more in our animal capacity, survive. We need food, we need shelter, we need to survive. And we don't have the opportunity to transcend that state, to imagine more possibilities for ourselves and our fellow species. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, probably not, but. Hey, as we wind out, it, I want It does, you know, I, I, I wanted to throw the ball up for you to, to, to uh, this was an alley-oop for you to slam dunk it because you're a thoughtful guy and I wanted to hear your thoughts behind that. And I got them, which is exactly what I wanted. Hey, uh, a bit of an oddball question here, but you've lived and worked in uh, North Andover, Methuen, Lawrence, uh, Tewksbury, all, all places along the river. Do you think about the Merrimack River? I mean, this is like a poet's question, right? Because, you know, traditionally poets are, are concerned with, you know, nature and natural forces and how they impact our, our feelings and, and our experience of the world. Do you think much about the river and how it, you know, how it flows through your own life and your own work? Hmm. I like that question, and it, it's connected to this project that we did with Essex County Community Foundation. Um, this gentleman, gentleman Tom Borup, uh, creative community builder, is a credible dude, and um, uh, Merrimack Valley Planning Commission. We did this project, this cult cultural mapping project, and it led to this expression book. And this initiated in the summer of 2019, and I actually uh, co-facilitated a workshop uh, with folks around the Merrimack Valley to reflect on, you know, what what connects us all here in the Merrimack Valley. And the Merrimack River was this constant theme uh, that came up. And so I was like, all right, so what does water mean to you? Uh, what, is, what does the Merrimack River mean to you? And I think, I don't think specifically about the Merrimack River, um, but I do think about this area as you know, there's there's so much potential for this area to be more connected and to be unified. 
and to have a, you know, share the wealth in the different communities and that wealth, I don't mean finances. I just mean, you know, the culture, the art, um, you know, the history to be able to engage with, the, with each other more intentionally. And I think the river is just a reminder of that, you know, and for me as somebody who I felt kind of, you know, almost in purgatory for a little bit for most of my childhood, you know, bouncing all over the place, even, you know, when I was situated in a place like North Andover uh, as a biracial kid, you know, not feeling like I necessarily belonged, but then going to Lawrence to play basketball. And because, you know, I was from North Andover and not feeling like I belonged there. And I think, you know, respecting the different cultures and the different places, but also finding more mechanisms in which to bring us all together. So I, I think about the Merrimack River when, um, when I think about that, you know. Yeah, well, uh, that's great, and it sets us up for discussions we'll be having over the next few weeks as we bring the poets in and start talking about Merrimack Valley uh, history and our literary legacy and all that kind of great stuff. Marquise Victor, thank you so much for coming on the 495. I really, really appreciate it. It's been great. Uh, Marquise Victor is the president and executive director, the founder of Elevated Thought. Marquise, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. All right. Grateful to share space with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Peace.